0: So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting Bluehost.com. That's Bluehost.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. Hey, do you need a financial coach? If so, let's work together. As a coach, I help you get structure around your finances, visualize your ideal life, whatever that looks like for you. And more importantly, put together a strategy to help you get there. A lot of people hire me because they want to pay off debt faster and more efficiently and boost up their savings or increase their credit score. And those are all awesome goals. Financial coaching just helps you because I hold you accountable the entire way. Yeah, for better or worse, we're kind of like we're married. So if you want to take the podcast concepts that you're learning here and apply those to your life with my help, then you need to apply for coaching at WhitneyHanson.com slash customized dash coaching. Once again, that's WhitneyHanson.com slash customized dash coaching. I am so stoked to work with you and help you reach your financial goals. Hey, money nerds. Today, I'm going to be answering 10 of the most commonly asked financial questions and giving you a little bit more of a perspective. So let's go ahead and dive in. Question number one, how do I create a budget and stick to it? Well, I love this question because I think so many of us are really good at budgeting and then we fall off the bandwagon and we have to get back on track again. So I find the best way to get started with budgeting is to print off a 30-day calendar. And what you're going to do is you're going to look at that calendar and on every single date that aligns to the certain expense or bill that's due, that's where you're going to write that down and you're going to write down how much it's going to cost. What that does is it helps your brain start to. see how your paychecks are going to possibly line up with the different bills. Then you're going to look at the amount you have in your checking account, and you're going to see how much do you have in that account and which bills are going to be clearing based off of your calendar. Add in some extra expenses like groceries, maybe eating out, gas in your car if you have to fill up again, that kind of stuff that's going to come up. And you're basically looking at from the day that you look at your checking account, so let's say today, until your next paycheck what bills do you have to cover from the amount in your checking account today? So that's how to get started. And then once you have that completed, you're going to project forward, you're going to forecast a fancy way of just saying, estimate what your next paycheck will be your take home pay, all of your expenses and start that process over. And so that's how you get started with budgeting. Now, the important piece too is once you start that budget, you have to check in every single week, if you don't check in every single week, you're going to mess up, you're going to get to the end of the month and wonder where the heck did all of your money go. So that's why it's so important to really check in, hold yourself accountable and make sure you are tracking your spending. And if you need a financial dashboard or a budget template to help go to etsy.com shop moneynerds money nerds. And that will give you a link to my Etsy shop where you can purchase a copy of my financial dashboard that I actually use with all of my coaching clients. But I do want to say a lot of times we try to find hacks for sticking to a budget, doing better with our finances. And ultimately, when it comes to budgeting, there really isn't a hack that's going to solve everything. Like you don't wait for that one little nugget of wisdom. You just have to take action. And sometimes we just have to buck up and do the hard work. And truly, I have found that so often we spend so much time procrastinating and thinking about budgeting and thinking about our finances that we don't actually take that action and we just prolong and procrastinate even further. So just stick to your plan. Just dive in, trust that you have enough information to get yourself going. Now, the second commonly asked financial question is how can I improve my credit score? The biggest thing that you can do aside from paying your bills on time and in full and not being late on your payments. Now, when I say payments with credit, it's your debt, it's your credit cards, it's your car loan, your house payment, that kind of stuff. So any type of debt, maybe making sure that you pay that on time and in full. But aside from that, I want you to remember the 30% rule. Now the 30% rule is essentially when you make a charge on your credit card, you never want to go above 30% of the total limit available on that card. So let's put some numbers to this. Say you have a credit card with a $1,000 credit limit In theory, for optimal credit-boosting purposes, you never want to charge more than $300. Now, I know that sounds kind of silly, and it's like, well, what if you paid off in full? But truly, it doesn't really matter. It's when you charge more than 30% is when you're going to see negative implications to your credit score. So if you want to optimize and you want to do a little bit better that is the best rule of thumb. Now that rule of thumb has a caveat. It's actually anywhere between zero and 30%. And so you technically can have a credit card, rarely use it and still have phenomenal credit. It happens all the time, but ultimately I want you to remember, pay your bills on time in full and never charge more than 30% of your credit limit. That'll get you going. Okay. The next common money question that is often asked is what are the best ways to save money? I feel like a broken record on this sometimes, but so often I still come across people that don't take this seriously. And ultimately, if you wanna save more money, you have to automate it. Don't leave it up to chance. Don't wait and see how much money you'll have extra by the end of the month that you can transfer to your savings. Automate your savings immediately. That is going to help so much. In addition to that, if you're trying to save more money, more of a lifestyle or philosophical standpoint is to keep your lifestyle very minimal. Don't go for the lifestyle creep Be really careful about expanding and ultimately don't upgrade your life immediately when you get a raise. I see this happen often and that is a sure path to keeping you exactly where you are today. Maybe that's good, but maybe it's not. I always feel like we can be just a little bit better with our finances. The next commonly asked question is, how do I invest in stocks, bonds, and mutual funds? Well, the first thing you're gonna do if you choose to do your own investing is you have to choose a brokerage firm. There's a ton of them out there. There's Vanguard, Fidelity, Charles Schwab. I mean, like we're talking, there's so many that I'm not even mentioning right now. So once you choose your brokerage firm, then you're going to decide what is the purpose of your investing. What's the goal here? Is it for a short to medium term goal, like buying a house or getting enough money for a house down payment fund? Is it for a sweet vacation or is it for retirement? That matters a lot because that's going to determine what you are actually putting your money into. Now, when you move money from your checking account over to your brokerage account, then your money's kind of chilling there. And then from there, you have to take one extra step, which is investing your money and actually purchasing those investments. So here's my own strategy. I do all of my own investing through Vanguard. I'm not saying they're the best company. That's just the one that I personally went with. So everything that I put into, it goes into from my checking account into my, my Roth IRA. I pull money every single week. And then from there, once a week, I buy an index fund. Now I'm kind of partial personally to the total stock market index fund, which is like truly a little piece of the entire stock market. And I also really like the S&P 500 index fund as well. Now, both of these, if you have the total stock market, you're going to have exposure to the S&P 500 because it's all of the stocks that are traded. And so it might be a little bit overkill, but sometimes I find the risk a little bit different. So the returns tend to be a little bit different as well. So those are the two that I personally use. And I also like to watch for the expense ratio and the fees. Now I personally try to keep my expense ratio and my fees below a quarter of a percent. So they're super, super low so that when I invest a dollar, more of that money is actually getting invested than going into management fees and operating costs for the fund. So that's just my own two cents. Definitely do some homework to see what you're comfortable with when it comes to your investing strategy, but that's the gist of it. You open a brokerage account, you move money from your checking to your brokerage account from your brokerage account, whether it's a taxable account or an IRA of some type, you then purchase your stocks, bonds, index funds, mutual funds, you name it, all that can be purchased from there. So that's kind of how it goes. It's actually a lot easier than it seems. The next commonly asked financial question is what is the difference between a Roth and a traditional IRA? The real difference between the two really depends on when you decide to pay taxes. So whether you choose a traditional or a Roth IRA, what that is, is it's just a way for the government to know how that money should be taxed. So with a Roth IRA, you're choosing to pay taxes on your contributions today. In exchange, you don't pay taxes ever again. So all of that money grows tax-free. With a traditional IRA, you are actually opting to take a tax deduction today and pay your taxes tomorrow. So later on when you go to withdraw that money from your account and you actually cash it out, that's when you're going to pay taxes on just like whatever your normal regular income tax would be. That's how you're going to pay that is when you pull that money out later. So Roth, you pay taxes today. It grows tax-free. Traditional, you get a tax deduction today and you will be paying taxes at a later date. So that is how that works in a nutshell. The next commonly asked question that I come across very often is how do I pay off my debts quickly and efficiently? I have a lot of thoughts on this. So I think the first thing you have to do is get clear on how much debt you have. It's so key to really get clear on that because so often it's easy to just put our head in the sand and avoid it because it's uncomfortable and it makes us feel like crap. But the sooner you can face that, the better off you are. So get clear on how much debt you have. I want you to write down every single piece of debt that you have, the interest rates, the minimum monthly payments, and even the term. The term meaning how long of a loan is it if it's a loan. If it's a credit card, obviously you don't have a term unless it's a 0% for a set amount of time. Then I would consider that a term. Once you have all of that information in front of you, then it's time to create a plan to pay them off. And we're going to do this one at a time. A lot of people immediately want to jump into paying a little extra towards all of their debts. And while that is still making progress, it's not quite as effective because it feels like you're not really making any movement forward. It feels like you're just kind of spinning your wheels, you're staying in one place and your debts are all going down, but very, very slowly. So it's a little bit demotivating in a lot of ways. There are two common approaches to paying off debt. There's the debt snowball and the debt avalanche. Both of these use similar methods, although which debt you tackle first will differ. With the debt snowball, when you look at that list of all of your debts, you are ranking these in order from smallest balance to largest balance debt. And the debt you tackle first is the smallest balance debt. So you pay the minimum payments on all of your debts except for that smallest balance. And then you're going to put all your extra money that you have, every single penny, every dime, like whatever you do, you get a bonus at work, you're going to put that towards that debt. And you start to just cross these off one at a time. It's very powerful because you start to see results fairly quickly and it makes you feel really good about your plan. So that is a great way to go. The next debt approach is the debt avalanche, which is Not the opposite, but kind of. So it tends to be focusing on the highest interest rate debt first. When you rank all of those, you're ranking them by the highest interest rate to the lowest interest rate. And you're tackling that highest interest rate first. Similar to the snowball, you're paying all of your minimum payments. You're not skipping those. And then every single bonus extra penny you get, all of that stuff is going towards that highest interest rate debt. Why this works? really well is because you're saving yourself a ton of money. That high interest rate is costing you a lot on a monthly and yearly basis. So because of that, the theory is if you pay that off, you're going to see more results from a mathematical standpoint, and you're going to save more money. And guess what? It is kind of true. So, which one you choose doesn't really matter. I think the important piece to paying off debt quickly and efficiently is to stick with one plan and one plan only and really prioritize one debt at a time. The next commonly asked financial question is how can I protect my assets and investments? I think this is a really good question because it really comes down to three to four things. I'm going to throw in emergency funds because I do feel like emergency funds are key to have because that can prevent you from taking out like a 401k loan or taking out borrowing from your retirement, moving from your savings, cashing in some of your investments. So emergency funds will actually help protect your assets and investments if used correctly. Now, outside of that, I think there's three key pieces, diversification, insurance and estate planning. Now, when I'm thinking of protecting my investments, what I'm really thinking about here is diversification. I want to make sure that my money isn't all in one place. Like I'm okay with it being all in one index fund, but that index fund is a collection of stocks. It's not just one singular stock. It's not all in Bitcoin. It's not all in Apple. It's a whole combination of a bunch of stuff. So because of that, it tends to be a little bit safer and therefore more protected. If it's not diversified, I think you're going to find yourself in a world of hurt. It's such an easy thing to do, especially when it comes to index funds, you can make one singular purchase and have a little bit of all the companies. And so in my head, I don't really see why diversification isn't a strong part of someone's plan, especially when it comes to protecting their investments. But hey, who knows? The other thing that you think about when it comes to protecting assets and investments is insurance. Now, insurance is super key because for some things that's required by law. Like if you're going to drive a car, you have to have some type of vehicle insurance to make sure that you're not just a total jerk and causing issues, you know, getting in car wrecks that you can't pay for. So that's why we have insurance. But in addition to that, we also need to make sure that our insurance is adjusted. And we look at the the number to see, are we currently under or over insured? If you own a home, So if you own a house and you haven't looked at this lately, the cost of housing has gone so freaking high, I actually had to adjust my home insurance premium because if my house were to, God forbid, burn down, I wouldn't actually have enough money in my insurance policy to rebuild my house which is a huge issue, right? So that's why you want to make sure that when you're protecting your assets, you revisit your insurance and make sure you are covered. Now, the last portion of protecting your assets and your investments is making sure that you are meeting with an estate attorney and having estate planning taking place. So often we we do such a good job, we collect wealth, we really accumulate a lot of assets, we work our butts off trying to have a better financial life, but we fail to take that extra step of making sure that, it's covered, that our assets are okay and that they are. there's a plan in place for when we die. All of that stuff is so key. Or even thinking through what if you didn't die but you are sick and you aren't able to make decisions for you. All of that stuff really does make a big difference. So having a visit with an estate attorney to just have this put into place, your documents in order to protect your assets and your investments is so key and they're going to help you and make that process as seamless as possible. Yes, it does cost, but it is something that I think if you're serious about protecting your wealth, you will do this. I also had a really good episode with Scott Learned. If you haven't listened to that episode, it's a ways back. So if you just Google Scott Learned, the money nerds podcast, you're going to find that episode and go listen to that. And it's going to going to walk through a little bit more about protecting yourself and what can happen if you don't, it was such a crazy episode. So I highly recommend it. It's also going to be linked in the show notes. I really like this next question too. What is the best way to plan for retirement? I think first and foremost, you have to figure out how much you might need. The quick and easy way to do this is by using the rule of 25. Essentially what this means is you're thinking through at retirement age, how much money do you need to live off of? What's going to be realistic for you? If you have no idea, just guess. (laughs) You're just doing your your best estimate here. Always guess a little bit higher because As we know, inflation is a real thing and our money is not going to go further later. It's actually going to go a lot less far. So you want to make sure that you are compensating for inflation as well. But let's say you look at this and you're like, okay, you know what? I can survive off of $70,000 per year. That's how much I need to survive. So you would take 70,000 times 25, and then that's going to tell you exactly how much of a nest egg you need in order to retire. And then once you have that number, then you're going to go over to investor.gov, and you're going to use their compound interest calculator to plug in your current investment amount. So you'll have your current investment amount. It'll ask for the the rate of return. It's uh, deemed as an interest rate for investments. We call it a rate of return. And so plug in what's an average rate of return based off of the, what you're invested in. For most of my investments, I usually use 8% because that, that is actually on the lower end, but also very fair. Once you have that, it'll ask for how many years until you need the money, and then the monthly contribution amount you're going to run that calculation, compare it to your rule of 25 number and see if you're going to have enough money invested for your future income. So that's kind of how it works. It's really not difficult to do, but it is important that you run that scenario and that you feel good about the way you're going. If you don't trust yourself or you're like, I don't know if this is accurate, Whitney, I'm not really sure. That is completely okay. That is when I would reach out to a fee only financial planner and ask them if they can help you with some of your projections. I don't think you necessarily need a financial planner to do your investing. If you have that in place already, that's awesome. And it's working for you. I'm happy for you. I personally do my own investing, but I do think a financial planner is a good person to have on your team because they can help kind of poke holes in your scenarios and get you thinking a little bit differently on some of the financial pieces. So I would go to a financial planner if you aren't comfortable running this calculation and see if they can run a scenario for you. But I really hope that you trust yourself and that you can do this math. It's really not super difficult. There's so many calculators online. I just find that this is one of the quickest ways to just quickly run a scenario and see where you're going to be sitting. The next frequently asked question is, how do I manage my taxes effectively? This is a good question. I used to work in public accounting, and what I learned is that the people that planned well in advance tend to save the most on taxes. And so here's what that looks like in practice. In June or July is when you're going to schedule a consult with a CPA. A CPA is a certified public accountant. This is somebody who is truly qualified to give you tax advice and help you with tax planning. So when in this tax planning session, what you're going to do is you're going to show them, hey, here's where I'm sitting. Here's what my income was last year here's where I think my income is going to be this year. Do I have enough money set aside for my taxes? Will I have to pay in? What's the situation there? And you're also going to be asking them if there's anything that you could be doing to save money on your taxes. If you were putting off some maybe home projects that might give you some energy efficient rebates or credits, that could be an appropriate time to do that. But ultimately, having that meeting with a CPA to say, here's my situation, what do you think, before it comes to tax time is going to save? Your bacon. If you wait till the end of the year or towards tax season, CPAs are so stressed out during that time, they're not gonna have a ton of time to sit down and give you a really thoughtful consult because they're they're so in stress mode of just trying to get these tax returns done on time and filing extensions on time. It's just kind of a nightmare in a CPA office. And so just do yourself a favor, do your CPA a favor and get that consult in June or July. Now, from a tax organization standpoint, if that's the way you're looking at managing your taxes effectively, what I like to do is I have a folder on my desktop and I name that taxes. And then basically I drop all of my receipts, my documents, any proof that I need into that folder, my W-2s, 1099s, 1098 T if you're in school, that's where you're going to drop all of those forms is directly into that folder. So then you can very quickly upload that to Google drive and share that with your CPA come tax time. It saves you so much time to just have it all in one place. Now, if you're a business owner, like I am, it's important that you stay up to date with your bookkeeping. And I'm not perfect at this as a financial person, you would, you would think that I would be, but I still struggle with this sometimes too. So here's my rule of thumb. If you find that you're consistently struggling with this and it's becoming a problem in your life, you need to outsource it, especially if you can afford it. Bookkeeping is not that expensive and it can help you really understand your business financials so you can make better decisions. But more than anything, it helps you during tax time to save you a ton of money and time so you aren't just like trying to spend months scrambling, trying to figure out what your P&L looks like. Now let's wrap this all up with the last frequently asked question. How can I create a financial plan that works for me? I think it's important to start with your dream life, not your financial goals, but your dream life. What do you want to accomplish in your life? What's important to you? How many hours a week do you want to work? How much money do you want to have in your pocket every month? Do you want to have a family? How much is that going to cost? What type of house do you want to live in? All of that stuff really comes into play of just starting with your dream life. And then once you have that dream life, then you're going to find out what types of financial goals you need to accomplish to ensure that you can actually live that dream life. We have to work backwards. Once we have that in place, then we're going to start to create a plan for your money that includes investing savings, and emergency funds. And of course, we're going to automate all of our future contributions, all of our savings, all of our investing. We're going to automate all of that stuff to make sure that it actually happens and it gets done. And then we're going to start budgeting consistently. Now, if you do these things, You're going to be creating a financial plan that fits your life, is completely unique to you because it's based off of your dream life. We create those financial goals to support the dream life and then we automate the heck out of it and budget to make sure that we stick with the plan. That's pretty much it. It's really, really easy. And the cool thing about this is it will evolve. So you will need to revisit this every few years, maybe once a year, every three years, whatever frequency works for you. But don't be afraid to change up your plan if it's no longer working for you. That's the beautiful thing about personal finance is you get to make it completely customized to where you are and more importantly where you want to be. So that is it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of some of the most frequently asked financial questions and kind of my two cents on each of these questions too. I would love to hear from you. Let me know what you thought of this episode by tagging me on Instagram. I'm at Whitney underscore Hanson underscore Co. I love connecting with you seeing who is listening in and saying hey to you in the DM. So come say hello. I'd love to see what you're up to and what financial goals you're working on and what your takeaways were from this episode. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate you. Hope you're having a great week and I will see you next week for another episode of the Money Nerds Podcast. Bye.